0: And God, that's our prayer. That's our prayer. We want more of you. We want to be like you. We want to be like you in generosity. We want to be like you in graciousness. We want to be like you in patience. We want more of you. The problem I find myself in is that I have more of me. Me, me, me what I want, my life. And I don't want that. I want more of you. I want to become more like you, so that I become less and you become greater. Help us do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, you can go ahead and take your seat. Yeah, y'all, you can give it up, that's all right. Well, it's Father's Day, and uh, I wonder, what makes a man, a man? Bob Dylan asked the question this way. How many roads must a man walk down before we call him man? Yeah, so how many roads must a man walk down before you call him a man? Now, now he didn't give us the answer. Later in the song, he said the answer is blowing in the wind. So we have no idea. It could be five roads, two roads, 156 roads. We have no idea. So what what makes a man a man? Esquire magazine came up with some things that make a man a man. They said that a man carries cash. A man owns up. A man looks out for children. A man knows his tools and how to use them. Is that a man has style? A man is fine with dancing, but he mostly avoids it. A man gets the door. A man doesn't point out that he did the dishes. He knows how to order a drink, and he knows the basic mechanics of the planet. Also, they said that a man doesn't know everything. See, I I think my my favorite definition of a man and and what makes somebody a man actually comes uh, from Donald Miller. Donald Miller was the author of To Own a Dragon, and in the book he, he talks about what it's like growing up without a dad, and, um, and I resonate with that because for the first 10 years of my life, I grew up without my dad in the picture for these formative years of my life. And um, I love the definition that he came up with, but before I tell you the definition, he said that that he felt less than, he felt like he missed out growing up because he didn't have a dad. He felt like his, like, like dads got together with other dads, other men, and uh, they grunted and they talked about adventurous things and they did outdoorsy things with their sons. And he felt like he missed out on all of that because he he didn't have that, and then he, he discovered what really makes somebody a man, and it wasn't that they go hunting or fishing or camping. It wasn't that they knew how to use tools and build them. It wasn't even that they drank beer and watch football, which all of that is great, and I endorse all of those, but what he said makes somebody a man is that they have a penis. Like, that's it. That's what makes you a man. He said, if you wonder if you're a man, all you got to do is look down, and you can see if you're a man or not. And the reason why I said that is because there's these stereotypes that we have of men. Men do this. If, if I were to ask you what makes somebody a man, you, you, you could list off characteristics or things that fit in a stereotype. But the problem is not everybody fits in that. And what Donald Miller was saying, if you got a penis, you're a man. And so you can like ballet, you're still a man. You don't have to know how to use tools or build something. You're still a man. You don't have to fit into the stereotype, and what he was saying with that definition is that men come in all shapes and sizes. And I'm not talking about anatomy anymore, right? But the, but there's all kinds of things, and and this was freeing for me because again, growing up without a dad, I just felt less than. I felt like, a- am I really a man? What's wrong with me? Am Am I missing out on something? And I think a lot of men feel that way. You know, the two questions that men struggle to answer for their entire lives. Are the questions, am I good enough, and do I have what it takes? Am I good enough, and do I have what it takes? And ideally, there's a man in your life growing up who's there to say, you're good enough, you're loved. That's a question all men wanna know, am I the apple of my father's eye? For me, that was a struggle for me because my, my, my father wasn't around, and so am I loved? Now, now my mom, she was a single mom for the first 10 years of my life. She did the best that she could. She filled in where she could. And then my stepdad came along, and and he did the best that he could. But these two questions plagued me for my whole life, all the way up until even last year. Am I good enough? And do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes to accomplish that, to succeed, to make that thing happen? Do I have what it takes to provide? Do I have what it takes to be a good man? This is a question that we wrestle with. And and ladies, uh, I just want to clue you in. If, if your man is struggling, if your husband is struggling, your boyfriend is struggling, they're abdicating their power, they're living in weakness, or they're, they're powering up and being a tyrant sort of man, they're, they're, they're having this kind of toxic masculinity or this weak masculinity. The reason is because they're struggling with these two questions and they don't know the answer to it yet. Am I good enough and do I have what it takes? Am I good enough and do I have what it takes? And this is, these are two questions men will struggle for the rest of their lives to answer. And they come back to over and over again. Am I good enough? And do I have what it takes? Like I said, I I grew up without my dad for the first 10 years of my life. And I felt like I was missing out. What's wrong with me? Am I good enough? Do I have what it takes? And and I learned some things, uh, not from my dad, but from a book uh, that taught on the things dads should teach their kids. And I felt like I was missing out because, again, my dad should have been there to teach me these things. And so from that book about what dads should teach their kids, I learned how to tie a tie from a book, not my dad. I learned how to skip a rock from a book, not from my dad. I learned how to build a fire from this book and Boy Scouts and also my stepdad. But there was so much in my life I felt like I missed out on and I just wondered what's wrong with me. And am I really a man? Am I really a good man? then I had kids. I didn't have kids. My wife and I had kids together. You know, it'd be physically impossible for me to, anyway, we had kids and I became a dad. I got a six-year-old and a nine-year-old now. When we first had kids, the question that I had to struggle through and that I wrestled with is, can I be a good dad? Because I didn't have an example of it growing up. Am I good enough and do I have what it takes? And that's my goal, is to be a good dad. Really, my goal is actually less than that. My goal is that my kids don't have to go to counseling because of me, right? Because if you think about it, and you think about the role that men play in society, men play this major role in society um, that, that we often miss or, or gloss over and we don't, we don't fully recognize. Because as you think about your life, most of the major wounds in your life have been caused by men, It was a man who didn't step up and lead like he needed to. He left instead. The wound that you may carry is a man who who, um, overused his power, and he used his power to abuse. And you saw that, and that scarred you, and it hurt you, and you're living with that scar. You're living with that pain now. Most of the wounds that we have in our life come from the men in our life, men who didn't step up, men who didn't lead and love well. Men who left are men who we wish they would have left because they abuse their power. And so men, we need to understand the important role that we play in society. Not just in society, but the important role that we play in life. The important role that we play in our families. I told you my goal is that my kids don't have to go to counseling because of me. Because I don't want to be a cause of one of the major wounds that they have in their life like I have in my own life and like you probably have in your own life and so what does it mean to be a man not just not just a man physically but but what does it mean to be a a, a good man because as I look at our society as I look at our culture I see all kinds of examples of men I see men who who misuse and abuse their power through misogyny and they treat women like objects I see some men who are in their 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s who still haven't grown up. They're just little boys and they're looking for their wives to be their mommies. I've, I've seen men who, um, who power up and, 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 and live in a way where they become bullies or they uh, go on power trips. I've also seen men who abdicate their power and, and they're spineless and they're weak and they're just content to simply exist in life. And as I look at our society, as I look at our culture, and as I look at the, the role that men play in the lives of other people, mainly our families and our children, I, I, I look at some of these bad examples, and I just want to scream from inside, No more! It's time to step up! It's time to rise up! It's time to grow a pair! Now, I want to explain this real quick, because this is the title for my sermon. If you're taking notes, go ahead and write this down. The title for the sermon is Grow a Pair. And if you're not taking notes... Go ahead and write this down. The title for the sermon is Grow a Pair. Just go ahead and write that down. Uh, but I want to explain this phrase real quick, just for those who, who might be wondering. Um, this is a phrase, Grow a Pair, that uh, often uh, men will say to other men uh, to challenge them, to encourage them, to inspire them uh, to step up and do the thing that they need to do. See, see a good man knows what he needs to do and he does it, he follows through. That's a good man. And sometimes when a man is complaining or he's whining or he's making excuses or he's acting like a punk little, I'll just stop there, what will happen is sometimes other men who know him and love him and care about him will come alongside him and say, hey man, grow a pair. And the idea is this, what they're saying is it seems as though you've lost these two testosterone producing objects and if you could just find them again, or you could grow a new pair, then you would have the boldness and the confidence that you need to actually do the thing that you need to do, so come on, grow a pair, and it's real quiet right now, and I need to explain to you the kind of church that you're in, I mean, we're, we're 13 weeks old, and one of our values is real is all we know, And so we're going to talk about real stuff, but you may hear this and you say, oh, I don't know if this is good church language. I don't know if this is good church talk. I mean, it seems pretty crude and crass, you know, for, for church. It's fine for you to talk about it on Friday night with your boys or whatever, you know, but but not in church. Now, listen, this is totally fine in church. Here's why. Um, there's this guy named Paul who, and and I just got to address the, and if you're you're probably uptight, you need to loosen up. Let me just explain to you what I mean. Uh, There's this guy named Paul. He started churches all over the Roman world 2,000 years ago. And in the book of Galatians, he's writing to the church in Galatia uh, and he's writing to the people there. And he says, um, okay, so there's some people who are teaching that in order for you to follow Jesus, you need to be circumcised. And so he's addressing that. And for those of you hearing this, and if you don't know what circumcision is, ask your parents. Even if you're 30, ask your parents. I'm not going to teach you now. But. He said there are people who are teaching that you need to be circumcised to follow Jesus. And here's what Paul says in the book of Galatians. I won't tell you where it is, so you can just read the whole book and find it yourself. It's a short one. But he says, here's what I wish they would do. I wish they would just emasculate themselves. Like, just go all the way and cut it all off. That's what Paul says. I'm just reading the Bible to you. That's it. So if you think this grow affair is, I don't know about church. Hey, you got to take that up with Paul. you got to take that up with the Bible, right? So... Uh, this idea of growing a pair is, is really about becoming the man God has called you to be, to, to take hold of the responsibility that you have to lead and to love well, to serve well, to sacrifice. And, and, and really, th- this sermon isn't just for men, but this is a sermon for women as well. Really, I think we all need to grow a pair. And I'm not talking about anatomy anymore, but I'm talking about a pair of personalities. And I want to expand on that in a minute because, see, when I think about Jesus, I think about the ultimate man, I think about the perfect man, the best example for what a man looks like. Now, some of you may hear that and you may push back, given your experience in church, and you say, "I don't know if I'd say Jesus is the perfect picture of a man," uh, because you've been to church and in most churches. Um, consists of about 60 to 70 percent women. Like the attendance in most churches across the nation is 60 to 70 percent women. And so because of that, a lot of churches cater towards women and their service and their, and their approach is really feminized from, from the songs that they sing. Things like, uh, staring into your eyes, you make my heart come alive. That's why I'm not up here singing. But there's is, this is a song about Jesus, I'm staring into your eyes. And that's kind of weird because dudes don't stare into other dudes' eyes, right? So, so there's that, but, but then from, from the way that they decorate with flowers on the stage, to the way that they smell, to the way that they talk, to the way that they operate, at, like a lot of churches have become really feminine, and, and they're catering to the feminine crowd because most people who go to church are women. That's a problem. Because, again, as we look at our society and culture, men have abdicated their responsibility and their power, and they say to their wife, honey, you just go to church. I don't need that. But They do. And the problem is a lot of women come to church and they pray for their husband that he would finally come to church and that he would finally get it. Can I just let you know, uh, men, please don't be a list on uh, an item on your wife's prayer list where she's praying that you would come to church. But instead, you lead the way. And, and that should be true for, for all spouses. Like, like you, you, you are one with one another. You said we are going to commit the rest of our lives together. We're in this to win this till death do us part. And so we're going to share all the most meaningful and important things in one another's lives from, from kids and how we parent to our, our, our love and our love life, even to faith. And so we got to get on the same page with this. But um, as I was, so, so, so when it comes to the, the picture of the ultimate man, um, like I said, I, I, I would say Jesus, but I think given maybe some of your church experience you'd say, I don't know if it's Jesus. Maybe for you when you think about the perfect man, the the ultimate image of a man, you think of somebody like Arnold Schwarzenegger or Sylvester Stallone, maybe it's Idris Elba or Samuel L. Jackson, Daniel Craig, like like these are pictures of manly men and this is the ultimate man. But really, it's Jesus. And again, you, you, you might push back on that because when you look at a picture of Jesus, you just think if I'm being open like you probably look at him like I could take him. Right? We've seen these pictures, we've seen these images. It's like, I don't know. But I want to remind you that Jesus was a carpenter. Jesus worked with his hands. He was a tough guy. There's this moment in Jesus' ministry where he actually goes into the temple in Jerusalem and he clears it out because the people in this temple were ripping off the people who were coming there to worship God and they were buying and selling and they were, and they were charging them more than they should have. And so Jesus, he's furious about that and he makes a whip out of cords and he flips tables over and he drives the people out of the temple. Here's, here's how the Italian Baroque painter Luca Giordano depicted that scene in a painting he did in the 1600s. I mean, Jesus is a tough dude, but even in a scene like this, there are times where people still try to make him tame, and I get it, right? I mean, this is, this is probably for kids, and, and we don't want to scare the children, but, but I think this is a better kid version of that instance. See, for the most part, many of us, when we see Jesus, we see him as this tame, docile, gentle guy who likes sheep, and he pats kids on the head. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's an incomplete picture of who Jesus really is. See, see, we see Jesus as the Lamb, and look, Jesus is described as the Lamb of God. We see it in John chapter 1, verse 29. It says, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, A land represents innocence and peace and humility. And so so Jesus represents all of that, and he possesses all of that. But when John was saying, look, here's the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world, what he's saying is that Jesus is going to be the one to go to the cross, to bear our sin on himself, to take away our guilt, our shame, our remorse. And just as in the Old Testament, they would sacrifice lambs to take away the sin of the people, Jesus was going to sacrifice his life to take away our sin. And so this is, this is a reference to Jesus being a lamb. But Jesus is also referred to as a lion. Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. And so here, Jesus is called the lion. And a lion represents pride, represents strength, represents courage, represents leadership. And so I say that Jesus is the perfect picture of a man... Because in Jesus, we see this pair of personalities, both the lion and the lamb, and men. If we're going to become the men God has called us to be, if we're going to lead our wives well, maybe you're not married, if you're going to lead your girlfriend well, maybe you're single, if you're going to lead your future girlfriend or your future wife well, if you're going to lead your kids well, then we need to grow a pair. Again, not talking about anatomy, but we need to grow this pair of personalities where we embody both the lion and the lamb in our lives. And women, it would be good for you to embody this as well. And so I just want to go through what it means to be a lion. See, Jesus is described as a lion. and Like I said, a lion uh, represents courage and um, leadership and power and passion. And we see this in Jesus. Jesus was the ultimate leader. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, he called these 12 guys in relative obscurity and he said, hey, I want you to follow me. And they begin to follow him and he he, uh, invests in them, he pours into them and he makes them into who they are so that they then go to lead this movement that's known as the church that's impacted our lives 2,000 years later. That's leadership. I don't know of any other organization that's existed for this long, 2,000 years. Jesus was a great and amazing leader. And men, if you're going to be the men God has called you to be, you've got to be a great leader. I don't mean you've got to be a CEO, you don't got to be a COO, you, you don't have to be another initial title or anything like that. But you've got to be a great leader. And here's what leadership is. John Maxwell says leadership is influence. Nothing more, Nothing less. Leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. And men, you have people in your sphere of influence who are counting on you, who are depending on you, who are looking to you for guidance. They're in your kingdom. And as their king, they're looking for you to show up to be the king they need you to be, to be a good king, not a tyrant king, not an abdicating, weak king who just kind of doesn't take any responsibility but to be the kind of king who's going to lead and love well. Then I mean, your wives are looking for you to lead. They want you to lead. Your kids are looking for you to lead. They want you to lead. And by leading, it's not this thing where, I, I hear this sometimes from men, I'm the head of the household, she needs to listen to me and do what I say. I don't want to follow that. I wouldn't follow you either, because you don't have a plan. You don't have a vision. You don't have a goal. You don't love well. You don't serve well. You don't listen well. I wouldn't follow you either. And sometimes that happens. And sometimes in Christian circles, well, the Bible says I'm the head of the household and she needs You're right. You are the head of the household. But be somebody worth following. Sometimes we want people to follow us and we're not somebody worth following. So to be a good leader, get a vision for your life. Get a plan for your life. Get a goal for your life. Do the thing you said you're going to do. Be a person of integrity. Follow through. You want to be a good leader? Love well. You want to be a good leader? Set a good foundation financially in your home so that you guys don't have to worry and stress about what's coming next. Be wise with your money. You want to be a good leader? Have a vision. You know how to affair-proof your marriage? Lead well. Lead well. Be the kind of man that your wife would say, oh, cheat on him? Be with somebody else? Oh, I would never want to do that because he listens so well. He loves so well. He leads so well. He cares so well. I couldn't imagine being with anybody other than this man because he's a good leader in our family. That's how you affair-proof your marriage. You be a good leader. You embrace the lion, and you live in it. I appreciate the golf clap. So, is leading. And it's also leading your kids. You got to be an example that your kids look to and they say, man, I want to be like you. Not like the example I had. I don't want to be like you. And I know some things not to do. See, some of you have that story. You look at your dad and he led in a way where you said, I don't ever want to be like that. And he taught you what not to do. Instead, we want to be the kind of people who show what to do. And so we got to lead well if we're going to embrace the lion. Uh, lions also use their power to protect and serve, not exploit. So you men have power. You got to use that power to protect and serve, not exploit. There's this moment in Jesus' ministry. It's found in John chapter 13. I, I love it so much. I, w- I want to share it with you. It's his final meal with his disciples. He's hanging out with them, and um, here's, here's what it says. The evening meal was in progress. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Now watch this. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God, so he got up from the meal. He knew God had placed all things under him, that he was returning to God. Because of what he knew, because he was the most powerful person in the room, the most important person in the room, what he did was he got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist, And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus knew in that moment that he was the most important person in the room, the most powerful person, not just in the room, but in all the world. And with that power, he didn't point to Bartholomew or Andrew or any of the other disciples and say, You wash my feet. Because it was a custom back then. They'd walked around on dirt roads with sandals and their feet would be dirty. And so when they walked into a home, the custom was for the lowest person in the the standing of the room, in the standing of the house, the lowest person, when it comes to status, they would be the one to wash people's feet to clean their feet because they had dirty feet. And none of Jesus' disciples washed anybody's feet. It's like this power struggle. As they're all looking around, who's going to wash the feet? Who's the lowest? And then Jesus, the most important, the most powerful. He didn't play the power game. Instead, he stooped and served his disciples. He served his friends. Man, you have tremendous power. The way that you harness that power is by serving others, by serving your family, by serving your wife, by serving your kids. By serving your company, by giving your all in your attitude and the way that you show up. That's how you embrace the lion. So Jesus uses his power to protect and to serve. Really what Jesus shows us is meekness. And meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength harnessed. Yoda was meek. He was powerful. He had immense power but he operated in a quiet gentleness. It's the ability to control and harness power. Mr. Miyagi was meek. So instead of letting someone have it and crushing them because I'm the boss, I'm bigger, I'm stronger, I'm the supervisor, I'm going to reel it back and I'm going to conduct myself in a controlled way because I'm meek. I have the power, but I'm going to use that power to serve other people. And I could go on and give you more examples about what it means to be a lion. But but the last example I want to give you about when it comes to being a lion is that you understand who you are. Because a lion is confident. A lion is secure. A lion is the top of the pride. and, And they're not running around insecure. They know who they are. They've answered the question, am I good enough? The answer is yeah. Jesus understood that about himself. John chapter 10 verse 30. I and the Father are one. He knew his identity was in who God said he was. John 10:38, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. See, Jesus knew exactly who he was, and because he was confident, because he was secure, he could live in that power and serve other people well. So men, we got to become lions. Women, you got to embrace your lion. But I said grow a pair. The other personality is the lamb. So the lion and the lamb. And the lamb is is innocent. The lamb is humble. The lamb is gentle. And hopefully through all those examples that I gave you, you saw the lamb right alongside the lion. As Jesus, the most important person in the entire room, got down and he washed his disciples' feet, he's so powerful, the lion, that he's serving his disciples, the lamb. The lion and the lamb live side by side. Leading well, the lion and the lamb Live side by side. we got to grow a pair. This pair of personalities embodying both the lion and the lamb because when you embrace this pair of personalities, the lion and the lamb, that's when you become more like Jesus. And that's the song we sang earlier. I want to be like you. I want to be like you. How do I be like Jesus? I live out the lion and the lamb in my life. And I don't always get it right, but that's why I'm letting him live through me. See, Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. And he shows us how to have this full life, embracing the lion and the lamb and living that out on a daily basis. He showed us in the way that he lived. And then what's amazing is that he gives us the ability to live that out here and now, (laughs) through his death on the cross. See, the time that we see the Lion and the Lamb more than anywhere else is when Jesus went to the cross. When Jesus went to the cross, he allowed himself to be nailed to the wood. The nails weren't what held Jesus there. It was your sin and my sin. He stayed on that cross because he thought about you. Imagine Jesus saw your face when he was on the cross. And at any point, because of his power, because of his lionness, he could have called down a legion of angels to come down and kill everybody there, to stop everything, to rescue him, to deliver him from the cross, but he didn't. And said, Because of the lamb, I believe he saw your face, and he said, I'm doing this for Jenna. I'm doing this for Ron. I'm doing this for Lorraine. I'm doing this for Jamie. I'm doing this for you. I believe Jesus saw you. He saw me. And he knew if he didn't complete his work on the cross, then you and I would have no hope. We'd be lost. be in despair. So Jesus stayed on the cross to take away your sin and my sin. Everything we regret, all the remorse and the shame that we have, he went to the cross because he loves you. And that's why we celebrate communion every week. We celebrate communion to remind ourselves of the sacrifice Jesus made for us on the cross, that his body was broken it's represented by the cracker, that his blood was shed represented by the juice. We're going to take that in a little bit. But that's why we take communion every week, to remind ourselves we've been given hope. That's also why every single week we give an opportunity for you to make a decision to accept Jesus, to say yes to him if you've never made that decision. Because as much as you want to embrace the lion, as much as you want to embrace the lamb, as much as you want to grow a pair, you can't do it on your own. You need Jesus' help. And that's by saying yes to him. By saying, Jesus, I believe that you died for me on the cross, that you rose again from the dead. And because of that, I want to make you the leader of my life. And I want to follow you and be baptized into you. Next week, we're doing a baptism service. After this service, we're going to my parents' backyard, actually. They got a pool. It's over in Kempsville. So at 1230, we're going to drive over there, all of us. You're invited. It's going to be catered. We're going to have a pool party, food, all of it. It's going to be great. And we're going to see several people get baptized. Several people in this church have come to this realization that I need Jesus. I can't do it on my own. And they've said, yes, I want to follow him. And it begins in baptism. Yeah. And if you've never made that decision to say yes to Jesus and be baptized, you can be the one next week getting in the water and beginning the journey with him. So it's time for us to grow a pair, but we can't do it on our own. We need Jesus to help us become both the lion and the lamb. Before we take communion, I want to give you a quick image. Um, I think my son is back here. I need that stool also. come on up here. Come on up here, Aiden. Yeah, y'all give it up for Aiden. Oh, man. Oh, man. Here, sit right here. Can you sit right here? How old are you, Aiden? Six. Yeah. What's your favorite things? Lego. Huh? Lego. Lego, yeah. What else do you like? You like to watch something? Nothing. Nothing? Star Wars? Star Wars. (laughs) Yeah. Aiden, do you feel safe right now? No. No? (laughs) Oh, that was the wrong answer. (laughs) You're so funny. So this picture that I want to give you, is a picture of you and God. I don't know how you view God or how you see God, but the scriptures say that God is our Heavenly Father, and He loves you. And just like Aiden came, ran up here, gave me a hug, wrapped his legs around me, and now he's sitting right here, feeling safe. <laughs> this is how God holds you. This is what God thinks about you, this is how God cares about you. No matter what you've done or what you've been through, God loves you. He just wants you to sit in His lap and be loved by Him. Feel safe, feel held, feel secure and confident knowing He is your Heavenly Father. And you're son. Here's your daughter. This is how he sees you. Thanks, Aiden. You want to say anything else? <laughs> Thanks, bud. You can go back. Now give it up for Aiden. God, I thank you so much for your love and your grace and your mercy. You know, some of us didn't have a good example of a dad but you're our Heavenly Father, and in you we have life. In you we can be confident. In you we can feel secure. In you we can know that we are loved, not for who we should be, because none of us are as we should be. But you love us here and now. And you invite us to sit with you. You call us by name. So as we take communion right now, help us get up into your lap. Allow you to wrap your arms around us. Embrace us. And remind us that we are loved. Remind us that we are good enough because you make us good enough. Remind us that we do have what it takes because you give us the strength and the grace that we need. Help us grow a pair so we can become more like the lion and the lamb. In Jesus' name, amen.